Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is David Perry. He's the managing partner at Perry Perry Martel International. David is a well-known name in executive search uh, with over 30 years of experience. He's personally closed 1,100 searches and negotiated in excess of $380 million in salaries. He's, uh, he's creative recruiting principles have led the Wall Street Journal to nickname him the Rogue Recruiter. And he's also authored or co-written several books, including Executive Recruitment for Dummies, uh, Hiring Greatness and Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters. Hi, David. How are you? Good morning, Tony. I'm absolutely fabulous. That's the rumor. I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Where do we find you today? Where in the world do you live? Today, I am in Ottawa, Canada. I'm in the colonies. <laughs> we we left many years ago. Now I don't. In a wonderful country, a wonderful country. And how's how's life in Ottawa at the moment? Is it? Are you locked down or are you open? What's what's the what's the state we of are, play? We are still in lockdown. My business partner, who happens to be my wife, and I just got you know shot a jab. Oh, yeah. um, Pfizer uh, about uh, two weeks ago, and uh, three of our four children are done. They're all adults, and we're waiting for the the twelfth of May. Uh, for my son to go get his shot so uh, we're all good yeah sounds good I've had mine too my wife's had my uh, hers but when we're, we're doing we're, it sounds like you're ripping through it as well in terms of uh, in terms of people and that's all good news where we need to go um, obviously I've done a bit of research on you you David but my audience will not know your background could you give us the potted history uh, sure got out of McGill University in 19. 19- uh, 82 that's too far back worked in retail for three years decided oh my god i can't do this um went into banking another thing i couldn't do after six months i got out went into the search business um started up an executive search division of a of a placement agency uh, after five months i got married went on my honeymoon came back a bunch of my deals had closed my boss didn't want to pay me he fired me instead i walked down the street to go to work for another search firm Stayed for two years, built $758,000 in buildings in 1988, to which for which I brought home 52 grand mm. out of the 758. And I said to my wife one night, I said, you know what? I love this, but it's a hell of a way to make a money, a hell of a way to make a living. And so uh, she sold her property that she had inherited with her two sisters from her parents and uh, put the money in the business. And we started Perry Martel International in 1988, specialized in construction, real estate, and eventually tech. In London, we've we've worked on the, uh, the Canary Wharf. There was a couple of Canadians that built that. And uh, we've done work all, I think we've closed 
I've, I've now actually have to update that bio a little bit. Um, I don't do interviews like this very often. I'm happy to be on yours, but I've now done 1,587 projects. I'm at 401 million in, in billings. A part of our process, we have a, a six-stage process. I don't know what your guarantees are over in England, but uh, we're a full year. And in the 35 years I've been doing this, including the two I work for somebody else, uh, I've replaced uh, six people. So we know the process. We've got the process down pat from the client side. And that's what we tried to put into guerrilla marketing for job hunters so that we could educate job hunters enough to understand what a good company or a good deal looks like and what it doesn't. And that's what brings me here today to try and share some of those secrets with you. Yes. It, well, it's amazing because we're on the inside. It's all sort of, you know, very, very sort of second nature to us. But I always think for people who are actually a job hunter, maybe once every, you know, four or five years, um, and actually these days, increasingly, they're not job hunters at all. They get hunted by people like you and I and go through a process which we run. So even then, they, you know, they don't, people don't really look for a job um, very often. And when they do, they don't really know what to do. Um, so I, I'm sure things like uh, your book are, are very, very helpful resources for people. We're both sort of advocates of the hidden job market, aren't we? I think you, I, I see you talking about it as well. How, how do you see the market? I don't, I, market hasn't changed in the 35 years I've been in the business. The market's excellent. Not, mm. I say it's excellent. It's excellent for excellent people. Mm. Um, I, and when I say excellent people, I mean, you know, highly skilled or at least great at what they do. It doesn't have to be at any particular level, but great at what they do. Um, and uh, understand what they want to do. And nowadays, more than, more than ever, uh, can be found by people like us to help move them along or pull them along in their career. So you know, the market's been what the market's been, fabulous. And it's just gotten easier for us. Did you, I don't know how long you've been in the business, Tony, but I remember, I remember phone bills phone bills that, and I was just doing local and Toronto, Montreal, and they were 14, 1800 bucks a month. I remember having to, my courier bills, if this is long before email, right? That were, uh, uh, you know, two grand a month. Uh, I also remember uh, long before LinkedIn and, and Google made uh, the ability to find anybody um, having to call into companies and, you know, market map companies with yellow pages and phone calls and directories and, so the world for us has just gotten easier to find people. It's just got more challenging to sort through them uh, and make sure that we've got the best people. And you know, for people looking for a job, um, the ones that make themselves, I always talk about digital breadcrumbs, right? Hansel and Gretel. The people that make themselves easy to be found for the jobs they actually want to do, it's a good life because they can just pick up the phone and say, yeah, I'm interested in that or nope, I'm not interested in that. And on they go. Absolutely. Visibility. I talk about it a lot. If you're, you know, we need to be able to find you for the jobs that you're very good at doing or want to do. And, and you, you almost need you, you your own publisher, particularly on LinkedIn. You can direct us to the, to your abilities through your LinkedIn profile. You can, you can be found really, really readily, but if you don't engage with LinkedIn, particularly, I think is, is, is the, 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 you know, the, the sort of preeminent, uh, um, place where I think you need to be active, but you know, across the internet, if you if you can't be found, it's unlikely that you're going to get the tap on the shoulder for those interesting jobs. When you're definitely looking, you need to up your game significantly uh, and work very hard on your 
personal brand, if you like, out there in the marketplace. And the more work you're doing it, the more likely you are to be found for the for the roles that you want to be found for. Yeah, and, and Tony, I, I, I always tell people it's it's very simple math, right? You as a job hunter can go out and look for a job. Great. But as a job hunter, you can actually have, you know, a, a very significant army of recruiters looking for opportunities for you as well. And, it, you know, there's a, there's a quarter million recruiters just in North America, probably at least the same number in the UK. Mm-hmm. That's a half million people in the English speaking world and just these two continents, right? So, you know, why not make yourself easy to be found and, and specifically easy to be found for exactly what you want to do. And mm. I find that most people treat LinkedIn, unfortunately, like a, another online resume and just put their, you know, roles and responsibilities inside, which, you know, gives us nothing, absolutely nothing. But uh, you can, uh, there's two ways to find a job, you, or two, two ways to find work. You can find a job or you can be found. And it's just so much easier, you know, to be found. And specifically, as you said, for exactly what you want, it just takes a little bit of effort. Yeah, absolutely. And when working with recruiters, I always think, you know, that's, uh, it can be brilliant if you can find the right recruiter, if you vet that person and find out that they have done a great job for somebody else and you can form a good relationship with a recruiter. Do you, I mean, I, I still market candidates occasionally. Um, do you do the same, David, or is it all just retained search and you, you don't tend to do too much work with the individuals? I, uh, no, thanks for asking. Uh, we, we've been doing almost nothing but retained search for 20 years, t- the last 10 years at the very senior levels. But you know, every now and then, you know this, every now and then you trip across someone who's absolutely a rock star. They're fabulous. And in the conversation, you know, they say, you know, I'm happy where I am. And you ask the question, what's the next move look like? And if they can describe it, mm. well, that's a, for recruiters, that's, that's a license to have a lot of fun. Mm. So I do market candidates um, probably 10 or 12 a year. Yes. Uh, you've got to be at a very high level, but I'll actually sit down with candidates and say, okay, so who are the top 10 companies? What's the issue you've got uh, or they've got that you can solve? Really? Tell me about it. Why would they be interested? Why is it relevant? And then I will go and knock on the door and talk to that CEO or executive vice president or whatever and say, hey, I understand you've got an issue here. Well, I've got someone that I think you probably want to have lunch with or have a coffee with. And we'll start that dialogue. Um, Yeah, I I market candidates all the time. And And I have friends who always ask me, you know, well, what do I do when a recruiter calls? And I said, there's three questions you ask a recruiter when they call. And, and, and depending on the answers, you go forward quickly or you don't go forward at all. And those three questions I've always said are, yes, the, the recruiter, are you on retainer or contingency? Mm. And there's a difference. And I'm not sure everybody understands that. Retainer means we've been paid a bag of gold to start a project and finish it. We're going to deliver a head. That's a headhunter. Contingency means I'm working against the clock. Uh, to find someone that fits a description for a client that hasn't given me a contract, but has said, I'll talk to them if you can find one. And oftentimes there's, you know, five, 10 or more companies working on the same assignment. So if they're on contingency, they've got competition. So the first question, and that's not a bad thing. I've worked a lot of deals on contingency, but so the first question is, are you on retainer or contingency? If they're on retainer, answer any questions they've got. Um, you're fully secure that they're going, they have a project and you're going to be in good hands. If they're on contingency, you ask them a question, 
have you ever worked with this client before? It's binary again, yes, no. So if they have, they say, yes, I have, then you can ask them some questions. If they say no, then you have to ask them the, the final question. The final question is, have you ever placed someone like me before? And if the answer is no, you probably don't want to proceed. And I'll tell your audience why. If they say yes, you got to think about it. But here's the, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here's, here's what it is in North America. If a recruiter has your resume and puts it forward to a company, with or without your permission, because they don't actually need your permission, mm-hmm. um, th- then that recruiter owns your candidacy with that client company or that company for the next six months to a year. We'll call it a year. It's pretty much what it is. So even though they didn't tell you that they were putting you forward, if they put you forward and you later apply to that company on your own uh, or through another recruiter, um, and, and the company finds out, or the other recruitment, the first recruitment company finds out that you took a job there, they're going to send that client to bill. Mm. So now they're going to pay for you twice. Not going to happen. That's why a lot of these companies have applicant tracking systems, just to coordinate the input from different recruiters and other things. So if a, if a recruiter is on contingency, has never worked with the client before, you got to be very careful giving them your resume because they can send it anywhere they want to and they own your candidacy for a long, long time. And the reason I know this is I started my second company after I got fired. Um, I had a, a, a general manager whose modus operandi was to find senior executives in engineering. And literally while he's in, well, well, the candidate would be in the boardroom getting interviewed by my boss, um, his uh, secretary, uh, would be down the hallway scanning the fellow's resume um, into the fax machine. And back then, it was a big deal. You can get a fax machine that you could pre-program, you know, like 400 destinations into. And uh, they'd scan the resume and push the button. And that before the interview was even over, boom, it was out on people's desks. And multiple times, uh, we'd have a candidate call back, or he'd have a candidate call back and complain that, uh, that uh, his boss had just gotten his resume. Because mm. my boss didn't care. That's the game. One of the other reasons I quit. That's the game of contingency for some companies. The ones that have never dealt with your uh, type of uh, placement before, the ones that don't have a solid client, have never worked with them before. That's the risk you lose. Probably too long an answer, but it's a really important. Um, it it is an important part. Yeah. And very few candidates understand that and it's exactly the same here you know if you if you submit a, a cv it's generally a year that you have uh, the candidacy of that uh, of that person and yeah very few people on the other side of that understand it so it is important that you vet the recruiter it is important you're put forward by the recruiter who has genuine access as you're suggesting because if you if they don't or if they don't have terms in place or they don't have a a good relationship you can't get on the shortlist. You know, it's as simple as that. It's, it's, it's really, really tricky. And then you're, you're for the next year, it looks like you've applied to that company um, and you can't really apply to any other job in that business. So it's uh, it's tricky. And and these are some of the things that the inside track things that, uh, that candidates really need to, or job seekers really need to understand. Um, so I do think it's worth worthwhile and, and, uh, and is a required piece of knowledge for people who are looking today. What are the other things that you have in, in the books? What are, what are the other recommendations that you're making to people uh, who are job seeking today? Um, great question. Well, um, 
you know, this is the third edition and I'm writing the fourth edition of Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters. And one of the things we like to do um, is make sure that people understand they have choice when they're looking for a job. Um, we always, and I'm sure you do the same thing, uh, we always sit them down and ask, you know, who are your top 10 companies you want to work for? What skills do you have? Um, what, uh, what accomplishments do you have that they might be interested in, irrespective of whether or not they're running an advert, right? So when you do that, you become, uh, instead of one of, of a thousand applying for a job, if you decide to go after these people, you're uh, one out of one, right? You're a, you're a job pool of one. So what's the best way to do that? And, and we have this tactic, it's called networking with the newly departed. It had nothing to do with dead people, nothing. <laughs> networking with the newly departed. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of networking, but only if it's done correctly, right? And most people don't do it correctly. If you're trying to network into these, your top 10 group of companies, most people will now look for someone on LinkedIn, try and make a relationship. Totally, it's totally superficial. It's a lot easier to decide whether or not you want to work for that company um, ahead of time. So instead of spending, oh, I don't know, um, four weeks trying to get yourself in the door only to find out that the guy that you work for or the guy or gal that you're gonna work for is a putz, mm -hmm. how'd you like to pre-qualify all your employers? Well, this is how you do it. Take your top 10 list, you go to Google, you type in the name of the company in brackets, you type in the word resume, you type in the department you want to work in. Let's call it marketing. And then you type in the word, and then you type in the negative sign. And without skipping any spaces, apply. And what that does is it tells Google to go off and bring you back all the resumes of everyone that's ever worked in marketing in that company. So you scroll through, and it'll be a, you know, it can be a short list, big, long list, but you scroll through it till you find someone that's actually been in that department. And they've left, you know, six months or a year ago. And you pull up their resume and you uh, you call them up because the phone number is right there, right? And you say, Tony, hey, Tony, my, my name is David Perry and I'm doing some research. I know that you, I, I noticed that you, I just pulled your resume off of Google. I noticed that you used to work at ABC Company. Can I ask you some questions? And they're going to say yes or no. Nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. That one time out of 10, you just repitch them and say, listen, I'm just, you know, I can call you later if it's a problem, but I'm just trying to do some research. And then what you do is you start to go through a series of questions talking about the company that you're looking to go into. The reason this works is important. So let me tell you why, why regular networking doesn't work. Trying to get into a company is hard because given circumstances, either a company might have a um, uh, hiring freeze, a whole, there's a whole host of reasons people don't wanna to talk to you about their company. And in some cases they're not allowed to, but they can talk as much as I want to about a company they used to work for. So you start to ask the questions, You know, what are the burning issues? They'll tell you, you know, what's the boss like? You know, does the boss have the ear of the boss's boss? And you pretty soon start to get a, a, a clear picture of what it's like to work in that department, in that company. And if you still like what you hear afterwards, you know, you ask the question, a couple of questions. You put your first question is, you know, who else should I talk to that used to work there? Uh, they may or may not tell you. And uh, then you ask, you know, if I decide to go forward and I talk to so-and-so in a couple of weeks or a month, can I mention your name? And they're gonna say yes or no. Doesn't matter if they say yes. Um, so you do this for your top 10 list of companies and by the time you're finished, it'll take you a week and a bit. By the time you're finished, your top 10 list may be seven. But here's what you've done. You, you've qualified those seven companies as a good place to work. 
and they have problems that you know you can solve. So when you sit down to do your cover letter, you sit down to do your gorilla resume, and you can just Google the word gorilla resume, it'll pop up all kinds of examples. Um, you, can, you can send a letter directly to, to your case, in your case, Tony. Tony, you know, dear Tony, my name is, and I was talking to, or, you know, I'm a specialist in, and I've done this, this, and this. And if those three bullets happen to coincide, and they should because you've done the research, coincide with that hiring manager's big three issues, well, it's, it's game on, right? And, you know, if they take that page, you know, they flip it to the, to the resume and it's, you know, it's got, it's, it's a one page resume. It's got your accomplishments. It's got the logos of the companies you used to work for down the left-hand side in color. Um, this is no longer a resume. This is a, a marketing brochure, not hard to do. It speaks to your strengths, which sp specifically speak to that particular employer. Do that 10 times. And what you get is you get invitations to go and have a coffee and have a discussion with that employer about their issues. They may or may not hire you. Um, chances are they're gonna, they're gonna at least have a conversation with you. We have created more um, coffee meetings or first time meetings you know, using that tactic than anything else we've done because it's non-invasive, it's non-intrusive and it, 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 smacks the, you know, it smacks the whiff of what's in it for me, bullseye right in the nose. Every, because what people don't realize is a lot of people think that, you know, hiring managers get up on a Monday morning and go, oh, listen, I got an extra $250,000 in my budget. I'm going to hire someone. No, no, no. This, this is not good guy time. They got a problem. They got a problem they couldn't handle Friday. It's still there on Monday morning, you know, after the soccer match, everything else, it's, it's still there. So now they're looking for a solution. Well, if yours skills and experience are a solution to that hiring manager, you're going to cause an interview or a meeting at least. And the meeting may turn into an interview. And in the interview, even you're asking the same kinds of questions. You as a candidate, a prospect are asking the same kind of questions that you asked the other people that you talked to. You know, you can open it up by saying, you know, Tony, listen, when I was doing my research, you did research on this. Well, yeah, that's why I know this, 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 and this are problems. Oh, who'd you talk to? Well, I can tell you about John, but I can't tell you about this other person. But, but they're also great things about you. So these are the issues that you're facing. Boom, boom, boom. This is what I this is what I did to solve those issues. And if they don't hire you, you say, well, listen, who do you think I should talk to? Not necessarily in your company, but you know, who are some of your competitors that I should talk to? Now you've just opened a double-edged sword, right? Both sides of the sword are sharpened. Um, if they do have competitors and you've solved and you can solve their issue, but they don't want to hire you. That means you're going to go to their competitors and hire you. I mean, I, I did this article. Um, I did this interview for uh, Fortune magazine uh, maybe 10 years ago. And I, um, I, I, I asked what the, what the first thing was you did. I asked this reporter, she put it in the, in, the, in the article. What's the first thing you do after you finish an interview? You go out, you sit in your car. You know, and uh, she had all these uh, <clears throat> crazy ideas. She said, no, the first thing you do when you go out um, after an interview or after a meeting like this is you've gone to the meeting knowing who this company's five or six competitors are and who the hiring manager is that has that issue. So you haven't just researched those 10 companies and found seven. You found seven and you understand who five or six competitors are. So you sit in the car and before you start the thing up or self-congratulate yourself, you pick up your your day timer and you phone George because you, you're not going to get a job, right? The guy said, no, I'm not going to hire you. 
you phone George and you say, um, hey, George, I just finished an interview at, at, at such and such. You wouldn't believe what you guys are doing. You leave this in a voicemail. You wouldn't believe what you guys are doing that are driving ABC company up the wall. Are you going to get a call back? Absolutely. And how did you find that out? Well, you did the research ahead of time. And the last question you ask the interviewer, and if they answer, it's fair game. The last question you ask the interviewer as you're leaving is, you know, uh, what is it your top competitors are, are doing that are driving you crazy? And if they answer that question, you get to use that information. Because remember, everything you say and do in an interview will be held against you. So you got to play that game too. And this is all about, you know, sussing through piles and piles of information to get at those golden nuggets that say, boom, 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 here's where I want to work. Yeah. It's Too much? No, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's exactly what I'm telling people to do, to be proactive, to get the inside track. You know, you can apply to hundreds of jobs online. It's really easy. You just click and apply. Yep. You know, uh, LinkedIn makes it even easier. You can be, you can be a really busy fool, really, um, competing with everybody else in the world on a on an equal footing you know at least 250 to one uh is your sort of is your your basic odds probably worse than that in most cases to be fair or you can stack the odds in your favor by doing exactly what you've described which is being targeted being deliberate being proactive doing your research and leveraging the information that you gain from that to stand out from everyone else and approach your job search in a completely different way. And it's the people that do that, that win. Um, they haven't made a hundred applications. They make, they have, as you say, they probably have 10 targets that, and they maybe meet with five or six of them. Um, I don't know which, which, you know, which would you rather be doing? I know which one I'd rather be doing if I was a job seeker, uh, I, I'd be, I'd be targeted. It's a, it's a, you know, I, I read that, that 250 to one on your, uh, your website. And I went, that's the first time I've seen the number. It totally, totally synced with me. I, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and we have over the years, a lot of these tactics that I wrote about in Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters came about because my best friend was an engineer, absolutely brilliant man. He wrote the calm link between NASA and the lunar lander that he drove the, the buggy over the moon. He wrote the operating system that, that sorts the U.S. mail. I mean, the guy's a, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's, he, he's a bumbling fool when it comes to interviews. You got to know, you have to know people to, 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 be, to, to have been able to hire Kevin into your company. You had to know what questions to ask, to drag the information out of them. Because he's the kind of guy, engineer, right? He's the kind of guy that you'd ask him what time it was, and he'd tell you how he was going to build the grandfather clock. It took it took two decades to beat it out of him, you know. But so, the what we did for him, um, this goes back about uh, ten or twelve years. Um, we walked we walked into a massive sixty five percent unemployment in uh, in Ottawa after Nortel. And a couple of other tech companies uh, wound down. I mean, uh, overnight there was twenty-one thousand engineers walking the streets, yeah. and and he ended up um, not being one of them, but he hated his job. No, not when I got him. And um, we're getting ready to, to we're getting ready to package him up and take him out uh, for job interviews. And I unfortunately had a massive stroke, mm -hmm. and it left me unable to walk, talk, uh, read, or write, and uh, not at a good time. Um, just when Kevin needed me pretty much the most, right? Uh, 
Mm. So um, my speech started, the words started to come back uh, on day five. And um, he found out through his wife because we're all just best best friends. And uh, he started to sneak into the hospital and, and get me to try and prep him for the interview. Well, like I'm awake 43 minutes a day and, and, and lucid, right? So I got to figure out how I'm going to do this. Anyway, long story short, we came up with this strategy. I think you, you, I think your listeners would love this. So what I did with Kevin is I came up with a series of 10 questions. I said, Kevin, you take these questions with you into the interview and you give them to the interviewer. He said, what do you mean? I said, listen, unless you get an interviewer that's really intelligent and they know what to ask you, they're not going to ask you the right questions. They're not going to ask you enough of the right questions to be able to decide by the time the interview is over whether they're going to hire you or not. So let's not take a chance. You know, so we worked to them. I got in the hospital like a while. So, so we targeted we targeted his list and it was, it was more than uh, 10. It was actually 40. Anyway, long story short, 38 targets. 28 interviews, 26 callbacks, 24 offers, eight weeks. Here's how he did it. Every time he walked into an interview, and he's an engineer, right? He would say up front, listen, I'm a little bit nervous. So I got some questions I got to ask you. And I've actually typed them up. And I brought your copy. And I'm just going to give them to you so that you'll remember that I need to ask you these questions. And the interviewer goes, you know, that's, you know, okay. Kevin said, they're never going to do this. I said, Kevin, just trust me. They're going, to, they're going to take the paper, they're going to pick it up, and they're going to start to read it. And they're going to ask you one of the questions. And the first time this happened, God, I laughed. He called me back, on, he called me, come back for the interview. And um, I said, how'd it go? He said, oh, I, got the, I did exactly what you said, and I got the question number three on the sheet. And I said, oh, 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 can I ask you this one? And he, I said, sure. So they asked me the question. I said, they went through all 10 of your questions. Well, did you know the answers? Well, of course I knew the answers. I wrote the questions. I said, huh. And so did it position you as the guy they needed to hire? Oh, you bet. They made me an offer on the spot. I said, are you going to accept it? Hell no. That was a throwaway. I don't want to work for this company. I just needed to practice. And this is how it went for the next eight weeks. So, so you can't make this stuff up. It's actually in one of the books uh, to the point where his wife, you know, friends for ages, his, his wife calls me um, about six weeks into this. And she said, David, Kevin just turned down another offer. I said, yeah, yeah, he told me. He said, David, he needs his job. He needs to work. He needs a better job. If he turns down another offer, if he goes for another month without taking an offer, I'm going to kill you. I will cut you up into small pieces and I will sprinkle you all over the mountains. They will never find any of your DNA. And I was worried. And I said, okay, what else can I say, right? So a week or so later, he, he accepted. It was the 24th offer that he accepted, but it was the right job. Meanwhile, the city's going nuts. Everybody's talking about, you know, uh, these 21,000 unemployed engineers and no one can find a job and all the job ads have disappeared because when the economy goes in the toilet, companies still need to hire. But they, in pure self-defense, they stop advertising, right? Because they get deluged. It's worse in the States than it is in Canada. I don't know what it's like in the UK. But in the States, when they um, when you advertise, you actually have to Get the resumes in, you have to collate them, you have to mark them as to why you're going to interview them, why you're not, because it's all, you know, employment equity uh, based. So when things are tough, the opportunities are still there. But as you said, Tony, they're in the hidden job market. And in that case, uh, they actually are hiding them on purpose. And in that case, they're using recruiters and search firms to sift through 
um, all of the candidates to find the one or two best ones that they wanna hire. And back to your point, if the recruiter can't find you, if you don't have digital breadcrumbs, if you're not on LinkedIn, if you haven't got your resume or portfolio online, if they can't find you, you don't exist. If you don't exist, you don't get the call. Absolutely true. And and I love the story. It's uh, and you know, it's, it's not dissimilar to some of the things that I'm suggesting to people. You, you need to be, I love the idea of taking control of the interview. And you, it's amazing how you can do that. I always say the questions you ask at interview are as important as the answers you give. If you don't have good questions, you're you're not a great candidate. But that's taking it to another level. I love that because yeah, I mean, interviewers they they have their ideas of what they want to do, but it's an organic process. And if they see something very interesting you've written on a piece of paper that they'd like to ask you, you're sure they're going to ask you. So I think that's a that's a great a great idea, and and actually you know really really interesting for 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 my audience. David, thank you very much for your time. If there's any one of your books that you would suggest that they, sh- they that the audience should buy, which would be the one that you would uh, plug the most? If they're looking for a job right now, Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters 3.0 is available on Amazon. You can get in the library in the UK. I know that. I've seen it. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. David, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Well, David was brilliant there, wasn't he? Some great advice there from David. Absolutely fantastic. His book is well worth having a look at. Do have a look at that. And of course, if you are job seeking at the moment, do have a look at the free resources on my website, which is careermovesecrets.com. On there, you will find my ATS beating resume masterclass, which I think will be a really great resource for you if you are applying for jobs at the moment. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider subscribing or leaving a comment. And of course, there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon.